there's of course the long-term financial aspect of that. Now, the other flip side of this too, um, for those people that have group plans and maybe they can't keep their staff on, maybe your plan doesn't provide for that because you have strict hours requirements as to what makes people qualify for eligibility to be on your group plan. Um, in most cases, you're gonna be looking at COBRA coverage, meaning that your staff uh, would probably still be eligible to participate in your plan, but there are gonna be different costs to them. Um, same thing that would happen is if you were terminating or laying off employees under other situations, you'd probably have to give them that COBRA notice either under state mini COBRA laws or federal law, which would apply if you have 20 or more employees on your staff. Gotcha, thanks. Thanks for that. And I promise guys, I'm not, not paying attention here with my best friend. I just wanna share this so some other people watch in while we're watching here. Whenever you get to a point that I can help, just let me know. It might not be for a while with all this attorney stuff, but I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I just wanted to just... You hang out with attorneys a lot though, Paul. I do, yeah, yeah, they're my people. I got a gavel over <laughs> after, after dentists, yeah, we, have, we do have to get to a gavel. Writing a brief tort with my downtime, making torts. <laughs> That's exactly right, Paul. Torts and nachos. <laughs> okay, good, so, good stuff, guys. It, yeah, and, and, and that's, uh, that's that's good stuff, Anna. I mean, I if you guys would like, I don't know, if my screen is shared now. We can kind of roll yeah. through some of the, the issues and some of the topics that, you know, I think people need to be thinking about. Um, and you know, I, this list changes from, from day to day. But, um, you know, first thing, kind of going down the list, you know, number 10, especially on this Facebook group, since a lot of people are looking at doing leases, they're negotiating leases, they're in the process of doing leases, or they've signed leases for their, their startup practices. It's important that you really be realistic about the timeframes at this point in time and what people are going to be able to do from a construction and planning standpoint. Uh, what's happening now in the world and the timelines and timeframes to get things done is are very different than it was even a month ago. So as far as you know, free rent periods and time to build out, it's important to be realistic about that and talk to your, your design and your construction team. And the other thing is that you wanna have good force majeure language it's referred to. A force majeure clause is one that's usually kind of buried down towards the end of the lease. It's something that gets very little airtime in the ordinary course. However, it is uh, now, in, uh, in over the last you know two three weeks become part of the most important conversation that we have with any kind of lease review and negotiation and a force majeure provision in a lease basically says that parties are excused from certain deadlines if they're not able to meet deadlines because of an act of God or some sort of natural disaster which again up until recently nobody really paid much attention to that other than making sure it's in the lease so you really want to make sure that you have those provisions in there in the event that you need to delay your open or your construction period takes longer. And, you know, you should also try to, if you haven't signed the lease yet, expressly state that uh, the, the coronavirus is an event and that a delay caused by the coronavirus will allow you uh, more time to do whatever it is that you need to do under your lease. And I feel like that that's a, an issue now that really can just be negotiated generally, you know, what will that do to your free rent period? Uh, what will it do as far as your the time that you have to open? What will that extension look like? Uh, if it extends past a certain period of time, will you be able to terminate the lease? You know, if this goes on indefinitely, you know, those types of things really, again, a provision that gets such little time and, and attention is now crucial, I think, because you need to have that extra time, uh, more so now than ever, if you have a delay that's caused by that. 
if you already do have a lease that's signed uh, and you have, uh, you're working on a project presently and you find that you have delays, it's good to be proactive with that, to put your landlord on notice. You should meet with your lawyer and counsel uh, as far as how to best approach that. But oftentimes we're seeing where you really need to take those affirmative steps to say, hey, I have a problem, I have delays, and it's due to the coronavirus. Not wait until, let's say, two months after the fact when you open up and say, wow, I opened up late or I need some sort of special break here because of the coronavirus. And if you didn't raise it as you were going along, you may lose your right to be able to do that. So that's really important to, to pull that lease out and look at that provision, which may be right above your signature line and you know, kind of below the counterpart part and you know, all the other things that seem like the miscellaneous language, uh, really focus on that. Uh, next thing that you, know, you really should talk about and think about is whether or not you have business interruption insurance and whether or not that's going to cover any kind of claims uh, that are attributable to closures due to the coronavirus. Unfortunately, most people's insurance does not uh, cover this, this type of, uh, of delay or, or a business closure because under a lot of policies, it has to be due to some physical damage to the, uh, to the practice, so some sort of hazard or, or, or fire or catastrophe. Uh, just because that means it for some does not mean it for all. So with a lot of these things, I would say, you know, especially, you know, I, we participate and are involved with a lot of people and the making a dental startup is an awesome resource for people. But this is one that you need to go beyond the people and, and asking the group to, to post as to what they think, because this is really going to be a case by case thing. And it's going to depend on your specific policy and the state where you're located. So if there's somebody on the group that says, oh, no, that's not going to cover you. Don't take that. As, as the gospel, it may not have covered them, but you should still continue to, to pursue uh, speaking with your insurance advisor to see if you have insurance that's going to reimburse you for, for those closures. Um, next thing, uh, number eight on our list here, tax relief. I think uh, people should be aware of this. Hopefully everybody does know. Generally, the, the uh, April 15th filing deadlines, more importantly, the payment deadlines for estimated taxes and your, your taxes have been rolled back to, uh, I believe, July 15th as of now. Um, but I am not an accountant, so consult with, uh, with your CPA on that, but know that that relief is out there as well. Uh, Anna spoke to the, uh, the importance of uh, employment benefits and reduced work hours. I would say just generally to everybody out there, you know, you really need to, um, you know, this is not the time to be a hero. Uh, and I've seen, posts on blogs and Facebook groups where people say, hey, I'm going to pay my staff until there's no money left. And, you know, I don't personally, as a business advisor, think that's a really good strategy. Uh, you want to be able to employ your, your staff for the next 10 or 20 years, not for the next two months. And so you're really not doing people any favors. If you put, you know, just kind of bury your operation and run it into the ground because you didn't avail yourself or your staff, of the uh, unemployment benefits that are available to them. I'll which, jump around and just share yeah. As a business owner, I'm calling this the, uh, the gas in the tank left nacho problem. So if we only have a quarter of a tank of gas left, and I'm like, hey, Mrs. Nacho, let's stop for nachos on a really important survival trip. She'll say not now. And what I mean with that is whatever gas you have left in your practice tank financially, if there's other resources that can take care of your team members and employees, 
you may need that for stuff that they don't have unemployment for, like CBCT loans and other things that you need in your practice over the next four weeks. So that's just how, that's just some input from me as a practice owner. Right, right. That's important. Yeah, really is important. Uh, with the unemployment stuff, I'm seeing a lot of uh, questions and posts and people are starting to realize this is the, uh, the, uh, the independent contractor issue has come home to roost. And so generally speaking, people that are paid on a 1099 as independent contractors are not going to be entitled to unemployment uh, benefits. Uh, that being said, you know, whether or not they are truly an employee or an independent contractor is not, uh, is not a term of art and it's an issue that just because the agreement says it's one does not necessarily mean that that's the case. Uh, and so if you have people that you employ that way or you're employed that way, you should really consult with your, your legal counsel to see uh, what that means to you from a practical, uh, practical standpoint. Uh, next thing is, you know, OSHA issues. And Paul and I did a podcast. Uh, yeah, it seemed like it was about three months ago, Paul, but I think it was about yeah. six days ago. Yeah, wait. I don't know what date is. No, I'm dispensing with the formalities of the MON and the TUS. It's just day, yeah. Yeah, it's day at all times now. Day ten. Yeah. So yeah. sometime, sometime in the somewhat recent uh, past, we we did uh, we did something with uh, Linda Harvey on the uh, the Dental Amigos. There's a, a shameless plug for our podcast, uh, our podcast uh, about OSHA issues and things for people to be aware of. And I, Paul, that's something that you know to me was really eye opening and really underscores the sort of the inconsistencies with the law, the regulations and the directives from different agencies and state boards that boils down to, you know, can people truly practice in a way that's compliant with OSHA? And what does that mean to them now, given the, the current situation with, with the PPE? It, it's, I mean, it's, 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 we're in the middle of this movie with this. I'm a really into ocean infection control, little known fact about me. I've been super into it since I uh, became a dentist. And to follow all the regulations that we have now are challenging with different level masks, gowns, PPE, eye protection, face shields. And now we're dealing with an unknown, a virus. Now, for everyone who says we've had the flu, yes, we have. We've had vaccines for the flu. We've dealt with it for many years. We have, uh, you know, I'll use a Rob term, our arms wrapped around it a little bit better. It doesn't cause people to freak out the flu, although it does cause concern. So if someone comes to your office with the flu, three months ago, back in normal world, I think this is really a BCAC type of world we are, before coronavirus, after coronavirus. In the BC world, your team member comes with a flu, you shoo them out the door and say, don't get everybody sick, right, Ashley? We'll, we'll bring down the whole office that way. So this is just, we're, for some reason, people are saying, flu's no big deal, this is no big deal. First of all, they are big deals for func shut, shutting down your functional operation of your practice. Um, as it goes through team members. Now, we have a concern with this virus. How does it live in the air? How long does it live in the air? How do you breathe it in? What happens if you're seeing one patient who is an asymptomatic carrier, then you see someone who's 70? Uh, I asked Linda, right now there's different states coming out with, you only can see emergency treatment, which already has a lot of gray areas for dentistry, but let's just say we're, we're let's say, i use another Rob term, drilling this down, dental pun intended, drilling this down to someone who has a breathing problem, a swallowing problem, or a facial swelling. A true emergency, right, Ashley, we're dentists, we're dentists, a true emergency. Not my tooth chip, not even sometimes an intraoral swelling, a true emergency. If you have to go take care of that problem as an oral surgeon or endodontist 
or a general dentist who feels comfortable, those are high level problems, those patients need attention, how do they protect themselves going into their office taking care of that problem? And I think the answer we have right now is worse, Rob, than it depends, Anana. The answer really is, I don't know. Yeah. And, and full disclosure, I have to tell Paul, Paul is my friend, but it's true. He does is excited about OSHA and infection control and always has been prior to this. Something when we were doing our live podcast at, in, uh, at the Greater New York Dental Meeting, he, he said, so Paul was on the record as being yeah. into yeah. infection control before it was before it was, just, it was in a, style. I'm not, a crisis, I'm not a crisis OSHA bandwagon. I'm not the Kansas City Chiefs fan of OSHA. I've been, I've been with OSHA Kansas for years. Kansas City now. Chiefs. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's true. And I think we have to look and just say to ourselves, right now we don't know what keeps us safe, our patients safe, and our team safe. And we're living this moment day to day. That is why for me, if this helps anyone out there, my brother and I, two practices, we are handling our emergencies right now by phone remotely asking good questions, figuring out how bad is this an emergency, an urgency, a chronic problem, a no big deal, and patients are all different. I encourage you to just stay connected and talk to your patients. How many times, Ashley, do patients just want to be heard about anything where they say, my temporary is sensitive, and they don't, you don't need to rush and bring them in, just talk to it. When is it sensitive? How often is it sensitive? So I think that's just a big point here with this uh, number five here, which is the, really what dentistry has to solve through OSHA and the CDC to get us to open our offices safely again. I think, and I actually witnessed one of those office meetings. I was walking home from work uh, someday in the recent past and uh, had the, uh, the opportunity to run into the Goodman brothers sitting yeah. out from the step of Nacho headquarters, getting some fresh air. We stayed six feet apart, Paul. Yes, I know we did, yeah. We air high five from six feet apart. Big, big social distancing, yeah. Um, but, you know, that's that's it. I mean, even in, in Pennsylvania, where we're physically located, we obviously we represent dentists around the country. And I'll speak to that in a second. But, uh, you know, Anna, what we were talking about earlier on our team meeting is now what the, the Pennsylvania Department of Health is saying to dentists, you know, which just speak to that briefly, which really just underscores how just varied and all over the map the, the guidance is with this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. I've seen that several states have come out, um, either the health department or the state board, in our case, in Pennsylvania, it was the health department, um, came out with guidance saying that everyone needs to cease all uh, non-emergency procedures. If you were going to do procedures, they had other specific guidelines about what you needed to do to comply with infection control. And one thing that they mentioned, which I thought was really interesting when I was speaking with an oral surgeon client this morning, is that uh, they wanted people to have negative pressure uh, chamber rooms or isolation rooms to try to handle these, these procedures in. Well, my oral surgeon client you know, told me, and this is something that I wouldn't necessarily know because I'm a lawyer, not a, a clinician, but nobody has those type of rooms. Hospitals might for treating tuberculosis, but there's, these type of facilities aren't just readily available and they're certainly not available in dental practices. So the fact that the Pennsylvania Department of Health is saying that you know, we have other state agencies that are saying other things. In New Jersey, there are similar restrictions on doing non-emergency procedures. It's really putting dentists and I think a lot of clinicians in a very tough spot about what is it that we can be doing right now um, when we're getting all these conflicting guidances from different state agencies about that and what is the appropriate way to care for these. Yeah, and I wouldn't want to be in dentist shoes right now. If you're a dentist in Pennsylvania who thinks, and rightfully so, that they should be treating emergencies and you don't have this... Uh, you know, basically state-of-the-art hospital 
environment to, to do that, then what, where do you, what do you do? And unfortunately too, all these agencies are looking at this, their own issues in their own, their own realm uh, without thinking about what impact that has on one another. And right now, everybody, the, the regulatory agencies, the government is just totally maxed out and trying to do all they can do. And there's nobody coordinating this stuff. So you end up in these sort of places where it's, can I do it or not? Eh, maybe, you know, and it, and it comes down to what is your, your, your risk, your tolerance for risk. And, uh, and different people are going to come down differently on that. And uh, there's no sort of hard, fast, yes, this is what you can do and where you can do it, uh, even within a state, let alone from, from place to place. And it's just a, a very challenging environment to try to be making business decisions in as, as a dentist without knowing what, what and when you'll be able to do certain things or where even at this point. Hey, Rob. Um... If there, there's, there are a few uh, consent forms that are floating around in all the different Facebook groups about, um, you know, we, we know that we're risking X, Y, Z if we do this. Is that going to hold up in court? Should somebody, heaven forbid, get the virus from us? Well, you know, the, the, the short answer is, we don't know, right? So a lot of this stuff, we these are issues in every facet that are issues of, in the law, we call them issues of first impression, right? Um, and, and really that's what's happening in a lot of different ways, even beyond the, the strictly legal uh, uh, paradigm. But uh, I don't think we know that. I don't think that you should assume that they would work. Um, there are a lot of issues with liability and negligence liability and proving that that really come into play there. I think you know plaintiffs would have a difficult time in some cases proving that they were they contracted the virus from their dentist. You know, if they unless they stepped out of a bubble, walked into the front door of the office, and jumped back into their bubble after, I don't know how they would be able to prove that that's where they where they contracted it. And you know, where have you been, and who have you been in contact for the last you know three five days, whatever the incubation period is. But I think. Uh, that's an issue that people should definitely be talking to their malpractice carrier about whether to do that or not. Uh, it's not clear to me, you know, as a lawyer, I'm not a litigator anymore. Um, I started my, my legal career as a litigator and it's, you know, over 25 years, thankfully, we are just uh, business lawyers and we don't go into court anymore. Uh, but, you know, I can put my litigator hat on now and start to think about ways that as a clever lawyer, Somebody could say, well, by presenting that form to someone, you sort of have acknowledged that it's possible that you're going to give them the virus and that in some respects, maybe you're doing more harm than good by suggesting that, you know, they may have contracted it from you. Because then if you do that, then all you're left with is, well, I got this release. And a lot of times releases do not hold up in court. But, you know, that really is an issue that is also very state specific when it comes to what things are okay and what you can sign away and what kind of liability you can waive, whether it's on a, on a ski lift at a bowling alley or an ice skating rink, or uh, you're going to go to a rock climbing wall. Different states have different laws. As to That's what, Rob, I want to ask you, Anana, because I, I was really good content there. And I was just thinking of, you know, one day the moderators are going to need, might need their wisdom teeth out and I'm going to sign that they could have a numb lip and tongue from having their wisdom teeth out. 
The only way that I, the only way that I can prevent that is by not having them have their wisdom teeth out. I just envision somebody at the door to your office on the outside that says sign here. The only way to prevent not getting COVID from us is not to come in the office. And then now the patient has the full, full control. You know, I have full control over the moderator's wisdom teeth. And of, of course, if they have a numb lip or tongue, there's things that you find out about it. But at least I, I'm, I've been made aware as their parent that this stuff can happen 1% of the time, I'm sort of saying, right? So right. that's interesting to me. Like you, you said, even introducing it could be a problem. But I'm just thinking from the stand, Ashley, we give consents for endo, implants, cosmetic dentistry, and maybe none of these are any good. Maybe these are not good either, Robin, on that we use, but at mm -hmm. least it manages the patient's expectations. Um, yeah. And I just envision a world where that may be happening for dentists. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's tough to say. And again, I think a lot of these things are really state to state and something that I would encourage people to reach out to their malpractice carrier to, uh, to discuss whether or not that's, that's the right way to go. And to speak, to just jump in here for a second, one thing I've gotten questions about in that similar topic is whether employees could waive that kind of thing as well. Um, I've had a few people ask about whether they can present some sort of waiver about getting COVID-19 by coming back to work. Um, and I think that's a really tricky thing as well and, and may not be something that would be enforceable. Ultimately, as healthcare professionals, if you were to contract this uh, virus on the job, that person may have a right to go file a workers' compensation claim which is a type of claim where, let's say you get injured on the job, um, you would then seek that to help pay for the time that you're out of work. Um, so that is something that would be open potentially if somebody were to get it as an employee, but getting them to waive any sort of risk of uh, coming back to work and potentially contracting it, I just don't know how that would really play out if, uh, if that were to actually happen. Yeah, and like when you get into releases, like they're, they're, that's an area of the law that is viewed very... Uh, suspectly which is good you know courts generally want to try to uphold people's rights to be able to pursue claims you know and for example i mean generally lawyers can't uh can't put in their engagement letter that i'm going to represent you during this dangerous corona time and that but you understand that you know you're not going to sue us for uh malpractice if uh if you got the, the wrong advice but so a lot of times professionals are not allowed uh, certainly legal professionals and i think I'm familiar with certain aspects of in the uh, in the medical field where you're not allowed to waive your rights or essentially uh, waive any kind of malpractice or negligence claims. And it's just from a matter of public policy. So otherwise, everybody you know would just say that's it. There, there's no ability to ever sue your doctor, sue your CPA, sue your lawyer. You should never sue your lawyer. Well, actually, there's some lawyers you should, but that's <laughs> but uh, you know that. Um, uh, they're just public policy against that, uh, that I think you wouldn't really want to rely on that. We'll, we'll speak to this in a second too, that, um, we've got, uh, we were provided with a link to, uh, MedPro's FAQ page on COVID, which, um, we're going to put out a, a mail, uh, a mail blast probably sometime later today or tomorrow. Um, and obviously this is not us giving legal advice with this and, and, People uh, may have different malpractice carriers, but I thought that there were a lot of interesting issues that were addressed in those in that MedPro FAQ. And one of them was, you know, will you cover negligence that's attributable to COVID? And they said, you know, as of now, they have no plans to modify uh, or restrict coverage as to the COVID virus. So that means that as of now, 
they're planning on covering any kind of COVID claims. Uh, as Anna said, there are issues with uh, workers' compensation um, that you have to be careful about. Um, and that's a whole other thing when you get into paying people as independent contractors, whether or not they get workers' comp. This is, you know, again, the, the misclassification of independent contractors coming home to roost again. Uh, but then the, the last thing which they, they throw out, which is an interesting thing to note too, is if there are claims that you've infected the general public by conducting your business, that's not a malpractice issue. That's a general liability issue. So there's a lot of moving pieces and how this insurance fits together. And know too that insurance policies can change from time to time. Uh, so uh, obviously if there is a, a rash of those types of claims, you could see that MedPro or any malpractice carrier could start to take a different approach. Rob and Anna and Ashley, what state are you in right now? California? Yes, California. So I'm in uh, PA, but my practice in New Jersey. But we just sort of just embrace for a moment the, the insane moment we're living in in this second. Right now, Pennsylvania has said, dentists cannot operate without these things. But let's say you're a patient in, let's say you're a human being in PA and you have a dental problem. Who are you complaining to? The, the, the state board of PA, dental, the governor? I mean, it's like, is this, this movie is, is gone off script. I mean, if you're a patient and every dentist says that you cannot, we do not have the appropriate, appropriate equipment to treat you, they've essentially shut down dentistry in all of PA. But over the next five days, there's going to be a few dental problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It puts, it puts dentists in, in an absolute untenable position. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, it's sort of like the, 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 my, the, the, the state government reminds me of like, my mom told me I couldn't do this. So they sort of have said these, it, I just think I've been getting many messages all day long. I've seen what happened in PA and I said, I don't have any answers either. So I just think we need to be aware of this for the people who do have dental problems, how they're going to be dealt with both from the OSHA, HIPAA, PPA thing, then from the, the N95 mask and the negative pressure rooms. Um, my only can, I can only guess that maybe there's rooms inside of hospitals like Albert Einstein level one trauma center that maybe dental work could be conducted, but there's very few of these rooms across the state for all the people. Yeah. Which then raises the next question. If you have a, a dental, a true dental emergency, it better be a real serious emergency before you roll in the front door of a hospital. Yes, totally. You know, um, and uh, but and, and we'll I want to speak to those those bigger issues in, in another uh, in a couple of minutes though if we can because there's some more to that I feel sure. like as far as where you know just uh, difficult decisions that dentists are going to be making in the near future about their businesses and their clinical decisions. But uh, another uh, area that's important to uh, to be aware of, and I think the buzz and the word has gotten out enough, which I'm happy to see, which are you know loans. And, uh, you know, dealing with the banks on any kind of practice loan, uh, most of the lenders that we're seeing, I don't think I've seen any yet um, that have come back and said, no, we're not going to offer any kind of deferral or forbearance. But, you know, anybody that has any kind of practice loan should definitely be reaching out to your bank and working with them to see what they're willing to do as far as delaying, deferring payments, reducing those payments, doing some kind of interest only, some way to ease the pain. Uh, and I will say with all these things, and this one especially, uh, this is something that you want to do sooner than later. Don't wait until you're, you're about to go underground before you reach out for that kind of assistance. Just like with the unemployment stuff, you know, don't wait until you're out of money 
to then fire, you know, fire or lay off your employees. Reach out to your banks, be proactive with the stuff. You want to try to keep as much money, you know, and reserves in play as you possibly can. And so whoever you're able to delay payment for, um, then you need to do that. And from a bank standpoint, you know, dental lenders do not want to start foreclosing in mass on all of their dental practice loans. I mean, that's bad for their portfolio. It's you know, bad from a, uh, from a uh, financial standpoint for the bank, but it's also bad just simply for them to be repaid because putting, they're not, banks are not in the business of trying to put people out of business. And right now, lenders, especially lenders that are tied into the dental space, realize that you know, if they foreclose on a practice loan, they might be lucky to get 10 cents on the dollar, right? And that's not part of their, of their business plan. So know that, I hate to use the word leverage, but that's the leverage that the industry has. And, and, and banks are trying to work with people because of that. So by all means, reach out, be realistic too. We've had a couple of clients that said, hey, I reached out to the lender yesterday. You know, it's just like Friday morning, I reached out to them at five o'clock the day before. Well, they're getting a few phone calls right now. Um, so, you know, be understanding, but by the same token, don't let it drag on for, for weeks. You know, be proactive with this and try to, to, to get some kind of forbearance or deferral, because in part, that's going to allow you to make other business decisions with your practice as to how long you can stay closed, what people you can continue to employ. Um, and, uh, you know, if you can take the, take the pressure off in any way, by all means, you should. Real quick, Robin, I just like to uh, represent, you know, I've been involved in four practice transitions and all different types of way to pay, ways to pay for these practices through family stuff, through lines of credits, through, to stretch that over time. But uh, I also want to take a break. You know, Ashley, Michael, people always want us to share our sponsors and who sponsors. So I want to be transparent that I don't have a sponsor, but I don't know if this would be a good time for me to look for a sponsor. I'd like to be sponsored by White Walker, Johnny Walker, uh, Scotch. I have that out here today. <laughs> The White Walkers are coming, so if you could, if you could, can I be sponsored by you? I'd like to get a new sponsor, White Walker, Johnny Walker. This is a present from my associates. One drink like a day, one drink a day during the crisis, and this is my one drink. Don't tell how big a bottle it is. But um, back to the second, Robin Anna with banks, and I mean, it's, it's I'm really here to just comment on realistic news that's happening, as crazy as it is, you know. And I deal with the broker, buyer, coach, person who buys practices. You're reaching, saying, reach out to banks, awesome, and talk with them. But some states have shut down for three months. You know, these people with practice loans, whether they're startup, whether it's their fifth practice, I'm, I'm really just asking your hypothetical. What do you think these banks can do over three months with whether it's a $2,000 a month payment or, or a $5,000 a month payment? It's going to depend from bank to bank, you know, and I think nobody knows how long this crisis is going to be. At the end of the day, banks do not want loans to go bad. And uh, if they think that they can wait a few more months before they put people in that kind of, in that kind of jeopardy, they've got, they've got every, uh, every reason to, to do so. Gotcha. Got you. Got you. So there's a couple questions like Ivana, like if we go can back to the emergency. One, Michael, wait, just one thing before we, before you get to the questions, let me yeah. just say one, one point to that. I think, especially with the group that we're, we're on here too, this is probably a good time to talk about this with startups. I do feel like startups in, in some warped way, you know, maybe in a better position to withstand some of this, these problems, you know, that, you know, uh, and I've had conversations with people that are in the process of or recently done startups or just opened offices recently. And 
unlike a practice that's been around, as you know this, Paul, for a long time, where you just accumulate overhead, you know, through humans and stuff. And like the, the, the exercise of cutting overhead of an existing practice right now is like moving uh, an aircraft carrier. You know, a startup, you know, if you're, if you're a recent startup, you're still lean. You, you have employees that haven't been working that long. You may not have the same kind of benefits. Uh, you haven't bought a lot of equipment that you don't need. You don't have all these ridiculous bloated lease payments for other things. Like you are, even though it's, it's a bummer that you're not up and once the, 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 the whole crisis lifts, you know, you don't have a, an existing or longstanding patient base. But, you know, you as startups really do have the ability to be lean, as lean as you possibly can for a longer time in some cases than an existing practice. That's true, we got a lot of junk. Think of it like a, you move into a house, there's a junk drawer that you haven't used yet, that's the startup. Then there's my house that's had been junked up for many years and I don't even know what's in, so old, 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 you know, uh, there's a Nokia phone in there, I don't even know what's in that junk drawer, right? So. I, old, old, old bag, old bags of half-eaten nachos. And yeah, 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 exactly. Yes. Uh, so that's a good point, Rob. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we jump into like more of the mal malpractice insurance concerns, because we also have questions on that, um, about the emergencies. Ivana asks, I have a patient that thinks the filling fell out. No pain, but she would like to be seen. What would Paul do? Uh, I would say, hey, uh, that would frustrate me too. But right now, the risk reward of trying to get a filling replaced uh, exceeds us coming in. We're trying to stay home just as people stay home, stay safe, stop the spread. That would fall, you know, go through the questions. Do you have any problems? Even if they sound ridiculous and how you document this up to you, maybe I'm saying now I'm not giving clinical advice. I'm just sharing my thoughts like Robin on his uh, legal disclaimer. But if I was, I would say something like, you have any problems breathing? That might sound crazy, but you have the person to say no. Any swallowing problems? No. Any facial swelling? No. Scale of one to 10, you know, how bad is that out of 10? Jock, document these things. And I would just say, hold off. And one thing that I say to patients, and we all say, right, we put in an implant crown, Ashley, they say, it's too tight, it's too loose, blah, blah. I say, listen, chew for seven days and call me back in seven days and let me know if it got worse. I want you to call me back, Rob, in seven days if it gets worse, and they never call you back because it gets better. In this scenario here, just stay in touch with them and say, can you let me know how this goes day to day? And then whatever state you're in, and Rob and Anna said it, I think you have to look for guidance from your state as to what's allowed. If you're in PA, it might, seem, might be nacho nuts to go in and try to deal with that today. If you're in another state, Maybe it's going to get to a point where the pain starts to make it emergent. And we're just really in a place I never knew we'd be in as dentists, um, Ashley, since we're the only two dentists on here, we can brag. But, um, uh, you know, that's, that's what would Paul do? would talk it over on the phone, stay connected, make them feel like I care, give them my cell phone number, and just always say this. This is something I say all the time. Please let me know over the next few days if this problem gets worse. If it stays the same, don't call me. If it gets better, awesome. If it gets worse. Because you do want to know if it goes from urgent to emergent. Because one thing I'll share is some patients, they say, oh, I got a little swelling. I'm sure this happened to you, Ashley. They go, I got a little swelling. They come in, they look like they have a, a baseball in their face. And I said, that is a weird version of little that you've decided to use. So, and you know, maybe this is the time too, Robin, on. I know this isn't your, your forte, but maybe like all this teledentistry stuff, what happens with HIPAA? They said to relax stuff on HIPAA. I just say, let's FaceTime, right? I'll FaceTime with the person. I'll say, do this thing, get me a picture of it. I, I, 
I, I don't act concerned. I am genuinely concerned, but I want to gather the data first without emotion. So that's my advice. That's a great thing. And I, I was actually going to ask you about teledentistry at this point. It seems like this is a perfect time to do that because yeah. if somebody says, hey, I have an emergency, well, geez, dentists don't even know what constitutes a, a valid emergency now, let alone the patient, right? Yeah. So I mean, it seems to me like this is a great time to to stick your toe in the water with that and, and ask uh, to, to see, uh, see what they're talking about. There's do different platforms on my group. I'm sure in your group where a lot of companies, one's my sponsor, Mouthwash, they say they have something, uh, other groups. And I think at the end of the day, your teledentist should just can be your old reliable phone with FaceTime and photos, even a video. Here's a tip. Tell someone everyone's home together, a bonding moment. Maybe Anna has a broken tooth. Ask your fiance to take a picture of a broken tooth. That's something to do for a while, right? So, so, you know, ask your, ask someone in your house to do it and then just gather that data. And I know that you can talk them through this because I think each day matters. And one thing I'll just follow up on is I saw a question about what would you do about a patient who's not of record calling you with an emergency? Huge question that I don't know the answer to. Uh, I'm a big help people type of thing. So I probably would talk them through that as well and go through my, you know, make sure it's not an emergency, an, an emergency, a true emergency. But I just think seeing a patient not of record is an even more risky thing. I don't know what you guys think, Robin Anna. Yeah, I do. And then uh, that's a good point, Paul. Uh, and the other thing too, with, with the teledentistry, keep in mind that you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't be giving uh, advice or looking at, uh, at patients that are in states that you're not licensed. So that's a, yeah, that's be really point. careful about that. You know, if somebody's hunkering down in Texas and you know, you're in Tennessee and you're not licensed in Texas, then you shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't be doing teledentistry for those people there. So do you guys think like, for example, since this is a startup, right, community, and they're in the process of doing their startup, how can you do teledentistry if you don't have your office yet? Yeah. I still well, think you could, you're still a licensed professional in that state, so you probably can do tele-commenting, you know, talk of commenting. Like if someone, this has happened, you know, people freak out when this stuff happened, but people call my brother and I who aren't patients all the time. We don't just hang up the phone immediately. We talk with them and find out what's going on and maybe there's a chance to to tell a help someone but like rob mentioned you know check if it's in your state because you know you got to protect yourself as well it's just a very difficult decision tree that we're going down yeah gotcha gotcha all right let's go with malpractice insurance concerns yeah so to me uh again this link which we'll we'll send out a mail or anybody that wants uh, i should say to uh to get our, our email alerts, uh, just go to yourdentallawyer.com and there's a field there somewhere, I forget where, where you can sign up for the newsletter. So we're gonna get something out later today, probably or tomorrow, but um, the MedPro uh, group's website with their, their COVID uh, FAQs, I think is really very instructive. And they are saying, you know, which is a question that we've been asked by a lot of people is, if I'm in a state that says, that you know the guidance is or the recommendations are to suspend all but uh, emergency services. Do I have malpractice insurance? And MedPro is saying yes, you do on that site. You know, so uh, again, recommendations are different from uh, state board orders. So even if you may in some cases have uh, malpractice coverage, uh, you could find yourself with licensure problems. Uh, if you violate uh, an order that comes from the state. But uh, with any kind of malpractice uh, questions, 
again, uh, malpractice insurance is rooted in the contract, you know, the insurance contract, the policy. And what is going to be applicable for some insurance companies is not going to be applicable to others. So this is definitely one where you should be reaching out to your, uh, your insurance company to ask these questions or looking at the resources that they have. Uh, asking colleagues is a dangerous sport when it comes to this. I agree. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And yeah, uh, I would say that the last uh, issue was just to sort of invite the, the bigger conversation. And Paul and I have had, had a couple of these conversations in, in recent days. It's just, you know, here it is. This is the reality of the situation. And, you know, if I were able, I would cue the, the Bee Gees right now, uh, the staying alive, right? And, uh, you know, so uh, you got to do what you got to do to keep your practice going and to treat your patients. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to come up here that are conflicting. They're going to put you in a situation where, you know, you're getting conflicting advice or direction as to what you can and should do. Uh, but only my question to, to everybody is, if this drags on longer than two, three weeks with these closures, what are people going to do? And, uh, you know, I think that's difficult. It's easy now. I shouldn't even say easy. It's easier now. To, to take a very strict and hard line with a lot of this stuff uh, and be conservative. But as time trickles on uh, and the country continues in a, in a bad situation uh, economically, uh, it's gonna be interesting to see what types of decisions people make as far as what to do with their offices and, and how to treat patients. It's a good point. I wanna just add in at the end, a um, couple of thoughts for me was one, if you're a dentist out there like me, you know, be as loud and, and ask as many questions and email and do whatever about this CDC, OSHA, ADA stuff. Just make, just say the words, ask, what are they doing for dentists to make us reopen safely? Because none of our P&Ls, our practices matter if we cannot reopen our offices. I use an example after I got off the phone with Rob today. One of my things, I'm calling one friend and one family member a day. I called two people today, one new fan, one friend and one family member a day. And my friend I called was a dental friend. And um, I use this example that it's like they've taken our golf clubs away and we have to go back to playing golf. And no matter what they do, we can't play without our golf clubs. And that's the PPE. So if you're a dentist that feels helpless, email OSHA, email the CDC, Google them, email the ADA. There's tons of conversations on nachos in here about this, getting together to talk about this PPE issue because we're not going to be able to get open again without that. And more than the PPE for us, the safety for the patient. Um, and my other question, I was waiting until the end, I know we have a couple minutes for Anna, because we, you guys gave us such great advice, help me, you know, this was like a, a, a stress reduction seminar for me, Rob and Anna, so thanks, and Michael and Ashley, because just talking this out was important. But without totally disrupting everything we talked about, I just want to ask about this bill that's on the table. So we have, we have our team, let's say you have your team on unemployment, and I'm assuming they're going to let you walk this back, right? So I'm not changing anything today about this. So you have your team on furlough, but what is this noise about getting businesses two weeks of pay to give to their team members so that if they don't, if they keep them through a certain time, they'll get that paid back. Have you heard anything about that, Anna? Hey, I'll let Anna take that. Uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, he's quickly running away because the answer I got, is yeah. all... The FedEx no is here. Gonna I got to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, unfortunately, the uh, the short answer is yet yeah, we don't really have all the answers for you. I wish that I did. Um, if you're referring to the law that was signed last week by Trump, um, 
that contained an expansion of the federal, uh, the federal uh, Family Medical Leave Act, the FMLA, as well as putting in uh, sick leave, paid sick leave uh, for folks too. The big question is when exactly that goes into effect, what happens and how does it apply to people been laid off? And from what I can tell right now, it seems like it's not going into effect until April 2nd, which means that I think it's a little bit too late. Um, but we'll see as we're waiting for the Department of Labor and the IRS to give more guidance on that. One thing that I will say, you know, for that sick leave and for the FMLA leave that's being provided, um, it does provide for pay that's going to have to come out of the employer's pocket. But there were actually some really helpful um, tax breaks that were going to come with that as well. So if you have to do it, you might be able to talk to your CPA and get some, um, some helpful relief there. But we won't really know much more until the Department of Labor issues further guidance on that as well. And, and the employer and businesses are going to need said money to give to the employees. Right. Regardless of whatever tax break, if they're, if they're out of gas by the time this happens, they're going to have to fund the dental practice in some way to pay the team members. Exactly. And unfortunately, I mean, so many people I've talked to already have already had to make the difficult decision of laying off their team. So it may not matter by the time that bill goes into effect. Um, another thing to keep in mind, too, is that a lot of states uh, that we're monitoring are also passing similar bills to try to provide relief to people. Um, New Jersey's one, I think uh, Governor Murphy signed something like 10 bills over the weekend that would uh, tr to try and institute programs like this. So something that I've seen are a lot of low interest loans that would help out small businesses. Um, but more on that as, you know, your respective states and then also the federal government continues to pass more bills to try to provide relief to all of its citizens, including, including small business owners. Perfect. Well, I've, I've come up with an idea on It's very hard to get the moderators to sleep. So at eight o'clock, we're going to FaceTime you and please read the bills <laughs> off to us because that will put them right, right to sleep. <laughs> I uh, had uh, some light reading over coffee the other morning. <laughs> Rob called me and I was sitting there at 730 reading 112 pages of federal legislation. So I'm just... We're having lots of fun trying to keep up with that. I'd be happy to share that with your kids. Yeah, that is that is not a fun exercise, I can tell you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you guys so much for, for hanging out with us for the last hour. It's been it's been a crazy week, week and a half. It feels like a year has gone by. Yeah. I know. Like every day is like a month. I've told yeah. people, I really believe that. You know, it's like somebody, I told Anna the other day, like, I, I need you to return this email for me. I just hadn't, haven't gotten a chance to do it. It's starting to get stale. It was, it, this was like Friday morning at 10 o'clock. It was from Thursday at 4.50. Yeah, right, oh yeah. man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's crazy. But, uh, you know, I would say to everybody out there, and actually I've got a little a little uh, light moment to, to, to part with here that, you know, overall, you know, this is, we're, we're fighting a war here. We're fighting really on two fronts. You know, you've got the virus itself and, and then we have the business and the economics of this. So, I mean, you've got to bunker down. You have to do what you can to cut your overhead, you know, and keep yourself in business. And whether that's availing yourself of employment benefits, unemployment benefits for your team, uh, forbearance on, uh, on your practice loan, uh, maybe some kind of relief as far as the, we didn't even talk about the SBA is, is providing emergency loans. Like everything's on the table now, you know, take all of your tools because, you know, being the hero at this point is not going to help anybody. And, you know, as I said, you know, point one there, you know, is, is really, you know, you got to stay alive, right? So. I like this, Rob. Some music. Yeah. Oh, bummer. 
She's just going to sing it. That's okay. <laughs> Michael, I'm going to go look through my closet for my bell bottoms from dental school when I look like you, and I'll send them to you, and you can wear them. When I had that body, this body stuffed with love. This is what happened. Like your body. Yeah, yeah. They, you had some bell bottom from circa 2002. Some, some yeah. Here you go. That's, that's Paul. That's Paul in the middle. That's me over here, right? Wait, where? Where you are you looking at? Oh, you don't see it, Rob. Oh, you can't see it? You guys share oh, your I screen, I think. I that. Wait, hang on for a second. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Uh, wait, wait. Okay. Uh, now, here we go. Okay. Is it up? Oh, there we go. I like it. <laughs> now? All right. That's me, yeah. That's I like the guy's Paul. beard. Paul's <laughs> got his, his dental nachos hoodie swung over his shoulder there. <laughs> you know, doing a little, a little dance there. <laughs> Great. That is awesome. But, uh, yeah, Which you do, Rob? I mean, yeah, you got to just keep yourself. Keep I yourself hope that's, I hope that's not prophetic for how the world's going to look when we're doing this. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very. So true. All righty, guys. Thanks, we appreciate guys. you, you awesome. so much. We appreciate you guys' time and efforts and everything. All this information, it's a lot it's to take in. So we appreciate it so much. And we're still getting questions. So hopefully you guys can also stick around and answer the questions in the yeah, comments. I'll as well. jump in there and look at what they are. Probably more for Robin on in there, but I'll tag Robin on it because they're probably – better to answer some of those. Alrighty. Cool. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Really good of you. Stay safe. Stay safe. Thanks guys. Thanks, guys.